Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Thank you so much for being here and worshiping today. As we get started, uh, I want to uh, first say please come and be a part of our Board of Stewards meeting next Sunday uh, at 4 p.m. in the East Sanctuary. And you may say, why in the world would I come to a Board of Stewards meeting? Uh, Well, that is where we do the business of the church, both temporal and spiritual, and we have several people who are going to be affirmed at that meeting to be candidates for ministry in all sorts of ministries, from deacons to evangelists uh, to chaplains, and uh, so you want to be there for that to celebrate them. But I want to celebrate one person who has completed their transfer from the United Methodist Church into the Free Methodist Church, and that is now official, and they've been affirmed by the annual conference, Uh, and that is Dr. Jimmy Jeffcoat. Where are you, Dr. Jeffcoat? Somewhere in here. There you are. Stand up if you don't mind. Yes. Dr. Jeffcoat has been appointed here as our pastor of discipleship, and so we're so thankful for his continued ministry among us. And again, you don't want to miss out next uh, Sunday evening. It's just going to be a fantastic time of celebrating several, several people uh, who are in process. So please come out and be a part of that. If you have a Bible, please go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we're going to be in verses 1 through 12. I'll not be reading the text. We'll just be walking through it. Uh, and if you're using a pew Bible, that's page 1035, 1035, 1035, Luke 12. I want to start uh, on a very serious note and just say that um, what we're going to be talking about today is not very popular. Uh, in fact, it's controversial. In fact, there's a lot of preachers and Bible teachers who don't want to talk about the text that we're going to be talking about today. And sometimes when we read the text like we have today, what we want to do is, you know, because of, uh, you know, maybe our culture or whatever, we want to temper the text a little bit. We want to soften it just a little bit. And sometimes what we're wanting to do with God's Word is we're wanting to kind of dull the edge of the sword, thinking that it won't hurt as bad. But whenever it comes to a topic like we're going to be talking about today, or any other topic for that matter, one of the things that we have to do is we have to go to God's Word and honestly ask the question, what does the Bible say about this subject? And the subject that I'm referring to and that we're going to be talking about, that the Lord Jesus talks about here, is the subject of fear. In particular, fearing God. And if you look throughout Scripture, there are two types of fear. There's the spirit of fear, which is not good. It is the fear that we have for things that are a part of this creation. And then there is the fear of God, which just by God's nature in who he is and by our nature in who we are is simply a reality we must come to accept. In fact, over 300 times in the Bible, depending on your translation, the Bible commands us, calls us to fear God. Yet it's a topic that we do not like to talk about. It's a reality that we do not like to talk about. But Jesus here is very clear about this, and he says some very important things about it. And so to prepare our hearts to receive what Jesus has to say, let's pause for a moment and just pray and ask that this seed would fall on good soul, because it's, it's a hard word. It really is. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your honesty with us. And Lord, I pray in these moments we would see who you are and see who we are in light of you. And Lord, I pray that there would be no mistake between the two. 
So Lord, would you speak to us? Would you help this seed fall on good soil, good soil in our hearts that we may receive what you have for us? We pray this, we ask for this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said, the topic of fear is a controversial topic today. It's a controversial topic, not just in our culture, but also in churches all across America today. And whenever I say the word fear, I do mean the word fear, not the word phobia as we define the word phobia, okay? Uh, and so, but the fear that we see mentioned here is very important and it's very pointed to us. And the truth is every one of us live with fear. We all know what fear is. And fear in its simplest definition is just a known harm, a reality that I could be harmed by something, right, or someone. We know that. I mean, for example, if I'm walking across a trail, if I'm going hiking, and I see a rattlesnake, guess what grips my heart and mind? Fear. That's right. And rightly so. And rightly so. Now, whenever the Bible talks about fear, and the way that I define fear as I see it in the Bible is my definition, the way I see this is that fear means we understand the real power of something or someone, and we live in caution and respect of that power. We see the real power. We understand the real power of something or someone, in this case, God. And so we live in caution and respect of that power. Again, the spirit of fear that's mentioned throughout the Bible, and even in the Old Testament when God says, fear not, he's talking about the spirit of fear that we see in the New Testament is this idea that we fear something that's a part of the created order. But to fear God is to understand his amazing, awesome, eternal power. And then because we see that and we see who we are in light of that, we live in caution and respect and awe and wonder of who he is. That kind of fear is healthy. And every one of us fear something. Every one of us fear someone, maybe. The question is, who do you fear the most? That's the question. The one question that every human being has to wrestle with is, who do you fear the most? And a lot of that is determined by your perspective of who God is and his power and his power at work in this world versus or over and against other powers that are in this world. So as our text opens up, we see in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, in the meantime, again, remember, Jesus is on his journey to Jerusalem, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling on one another. So Jesus is getting really big crowds here. You see that? Again, a lot of times we call this ministry success. He's got a big crowd. But notice what Jesus does. It says, he began to say to his disciples first, as the crowds are coming in, these people are interested in Jesus in some way. They want to see what he has to say, see what he can do. Does he do another miracle? Does he feed people again? As they're wanting to see in this sense, he pulls his disciples together. He says this, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And then he defines what the leaven of the Pharisees is. He says, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed from the housetops. The first thing that we see that Jesus is saying to his disciples here is that a spirituality, we're a very spiritual culture, aren't we? Spirituality is everywhere. But Jesus is saying spirituality without holy fear 
always leads to hypocrisy. Spirituality without holy fear of Almighty God always leads to hypocrisy because you can compartmentalize spirituality. But when you see God for who he is in all of his awesomeness, in all of his power, in all of his might, in all of his vastness, you know that God sees all. That's what the Pharisees have forgotten here. What the Pharisees have forgotten is while they're building their personal spirituality in many ways and then giving it out to the people around them, while they're building a spirituality within the confines of Judaism, they forgot that God can see all. And you may say, Chris, God sees all of what? He sees all of all. Are you with me? But when we lose sight of this fact that God sees all of who we are, all right down to the very thoughts that we have, God knows your blood pressure right now. You with me? When we forget this is who God is, we can compartmentalize our spiritual lives and we can do our spiritual thing over here and we forget about it over here. And the Pharisees, they've forgotten this. And so Jesus says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. We've talked about yeast before, as Jesus has already talked about it through, this, uh, through the Gospels. But let's remind ourselves what yeast does. Yeast seeps in. It works through the dough. And it cannot be seen. Yeast spreads slowly. And that spreading cannot be stopped once it's been inserted. Yeast swells up. It puffs up. And it changes the appearance of the dough. And then ultimately, yeast ferments and changes the very nature of the dough. Whenever we have compartmentalized spirituality, and whenever we play the role of a hypocrite, we lose sight of the fact that God sees all of who we are, the totality of who we are, and we don't live under that reality, this is exactly what happens to us. All of a sudden, uh, hypocrisy begins to seep in. And we don't see it. It begins to spread slowly and we can't stop it. It begins to swell up, puff us up. All of a sudden, we become prideful in what we can do and our spirituality that we've created for ourselves. And then it ferments. It literally changes our nature. It changes who we are. You see, when we just want a God who we want to stroke our ego and stroke our emotions and we forget that we are called, if we truly see who he is, to have a holy fear of him, this is exactly what happens to every one of us. That's why one of the two true tests of spirituality, true spirituality, is do you have holy fear? Because when you have holy fear, you understand the vastness and the power of Almighty God. That's the first thing. Then the second thing that Jesus gives is a paradox. And a paradox, the paradox here is to fear God is to fear not. To fear God is actually to fear not. In verses four through seven, he says this, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's just plain reading of scripture, by the way. I can't like make that sound any better. That's Jesus' words. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And then he says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? 
And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Now notice what he's saying here. He's saying to live your life in light of God, fearing God, liberates you from every other fear you could experience in this natural world, in this fallen creation. When you fear God above everything else, all the everything else has no hold on you. Do you see that? When you fear him, I can fear not everything else he's saying. And notice the images that he's using. He's talking about sparrows. That's an important image. And he talks about them being sold. So he's talking about money. He's talking about hairs on our head. And he's talking about the value that we have in life. You see, when you fear God above all, these are the things that no longer have a hold on us. All of a sudden, finances no longer have a hold on us. All of a sudden, vanity, the hairs on our head, no longer have a hold on us. All of a sudden, value, finding our value in temporal things, the things of this world, all of a sudden, that no longer has a hold on us when we fear God above all those other things. And again, the image of a sparrow, very important. In Scripture, the sparrow represents God's sovereign care and provision that only he can provide. When we are identified as like a sparrow, what we're saying in that moment, when we can say, I am but a sparrow, just small, insignificant sparrow, I am but a sparrow in God's vast creation, that's the moment we're beginning, beginning to understand God's significance in our lack of. And what this world needs a little more of, I think, is to understand God's significance and our lack of. I told you this wasn't going to be popular. I wish I could be the preacher that you could come in and I could give you three points on about how to be happy in life and we could smile and shake hands and go home. But Scripture's calling us to something a little more than that. And the question is, do we see how awesome and holy God really is. And when we see it, do we not just give lip service to it, but does it make our knees buckle? That's the question. And that's why Jesus says, you want to fear somebody? Fear him. Be like a sparrow in his creation. Understand who you are in light of the one who just speaks the word and creates everything. So he says, a spirituality without holy fear hypocrisy. To fear God means you actually don't fear other things. And the third thing is to fear man. To fear man is to deny Christ. And to deny Christ is to reject the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. He says it this way, verses 8 through 12. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But everyone who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about what, how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Notice the progression through the text. He says, if you fear man... You're going to deny Christ. That's the root of it. And you deny Christ by rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the primary work of the Holy Spirit in your life is to reveal who Christ is to you. That's the connection there. 
And so Jesus is clear that the one thing that cannot be forgiven is our rejection of the Holy Spirit's work in our life, and that work is to reveal who Jesus is. But notice what keeps us from embracing the Holy Spirit's work of revealing Christ. Notice, what keeps us from embracing the Holy Spirit's work of revealing Christ, he says, he points to, is the fear of man. That's why he brings up verse 11 and 12. And here's the thing. The only way to kill your fear of man is to fear God more. It's the only way. We try to tackle our fears on our own. We, we try to tackle our fears with our friends around us and that kind of thing. We even have slogans, you know, have no fear, no fear, all that stuff. But the only way we will come to that place where we will not fear man is to fear God more. I've been doing some reading throughout church history, especially around pre-Reformation and post-Reformation time and what led up to the Reformation. I was reading this past week the story of a man by the name of John Huss. John Huss was born in Bohemia, which is Czech Republic, in or around 1369. Now, what was happening in that time frame of his life was in 1382, King Richard II married Anne of Bohemia. And the interesting thing about that politically was that Anne really valued God's word. And she really valued the works of John Wycliffe, who translated the Bible into English, lost his life for it, gave his life for it. And so these works are being spread, and this is the environment that John Huss is growing up in, reading the Bible in his own language and being able to read the works of Wycliffe, and this has a profound effect on him. But John Huss's father died when he was very young, and so his mother was left to take care of his schooling, and she was poor. She couldn't afford it. And so a rich nobleman uh, was moved by God to pay for John Huss's schooling, and he was very great at school. He made great grades, and by the age of 34, he was the rector of the University of Prague. And everything was, seemed to be going good in John Huss's life, and then two things happened. Number one, he saw two cartoons, like hand-drawn cartoons. The first cartoon was, was of Jesus wearing a crown of thorns, and beside Jesus wearing a crown of thorns was the Pope wearing a gold crown. The second cartoon that he saw was the woman who Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And then on the flip side, it was the Pope selling indulgences where you'd go buy the indulgence in order to have your sins forgiven. And this moved John Huss in powerful ways. The second thing that happened to John Huss after seeing these cartoons is that in Prague, there was a chapel called Bethlehem Chapel. And Bethlehem Chapel was built for the sole purpose of the people being able to hear the Christian message in their own language. All the masses were Latin. And that is where John Huss began to preach. The problem was that as John Huss was opening up his Bible and just teaching from God's word, all of a sudden, the Bishop of Prague shows up and he's not very happy with Mr. Huss. And he asked him the question. He, said, he asked Huss if he was prepared to obey the Pope's commands. And here's what John Huss said. He said, yes, so far as they agree with the doctrine of Christ. But when I see the contrary, key language, I will not obey them even though you burn my body. Even though, if, if you are saying something that's contrary to Christ, I will not obey them even though you burn my body. That is having a fear of God that's greater than the fear of man. 
1414, the Council of Constance. Huss is summoned in. He's brought up on a false charge. They charge him with him claiming he was the fourth person of the Trinity, which was not true. But they needed to charge him. When he's charged before everybody, what does he do? He kneels down and prays, Lord Jesus, pardon all my enemies for the sake of thy great mercy. Thou knowest that they have falsely accused me, brought false witnesses against me, concocted false charges against me, but pardon them for the sake of thine great mercy. Wow. It was the Bishop of Milan and six other bishops who were charged with giving the execution orders. Whenever they got Huss there, tied him to the stake, they're about to burn him. The bishops ring out, we commit thy soul to the devil. And John Huss replies, and I commit it to the Lord Jesus. And he begins to pray, saying, into thy hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. I am willing, patiently, publicly to endure this dreadful, shameful, cruel death for the sake of thy gospel and the preaching of thy word. That is is what it looks like to have more of a fear of God and who he is and all of his awesomeness than a fear of man. They lit the fire. John Huss died from smoke inhalation. The flames burnt his body. They gathered up all the ashes and they threw him into the river Rhine. The question is, where are the John Husses today? We have people who love to play with religion. And we love to sing a song as long as it moves us emotionally. But where are the people who are so gripped with God and his gospel and see him in all of his holiness and beauty in that holiness that they're willing to give their lives for him? Where are the John Husses today? Where are the men and women who will fear God far and above beyond what they would fear the potential fire from people? So many times we want to make our religion palatable, don't we? We want to make it accessible and palatable. The problem is it's not. It's life and death, and there's an eternity for both. That's called Christianity. And to embrace our fear of God is to embrace our own limitations. And when we embrace our own limitations, we are declaring someone is greater than me. Our culture has lost this fear of God. It is quite clear. Just look at this month. Our culture has lost a fear of God. Absolutely. But my greatest fear about the culture losing its fear of God is that the church would lose its fear of God. When are we, the church, going to be so gripped by God that our knees buckle? at the very thought that his presence could be in the room. When we live with that kind of holy fear for God, there's nothing else that can shake us. So Lord, would you come? Would you give each and every person, regardless of our emotional reaction to the words of Jesus this morning, would you give give each and every person a holy reverence for your awesome power. And forgive us, Lord, for losing sight of thinking that we are greater than you. Would you bring us back so that your son may be magnified above all else in our lives all our days. Let it be so. In Jesus' name.